0: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Mona Suleiman and Manadia Aftab are climate campaigners. As to young Muslim women of color... They're exploring the impact of race, religion, and class in the context of the current climate crisis. They're putting pressure on corporations, organizations, and governments to take accountability for the millions of lives they're impacting with their destruction of the world's resources. I invited them to answer some hard-hitting questions about race and the role of Muslims in the climate crisis. I'm Sarah, and this is Small Talk with Mona Suleiman and Munadi Aftab. Mona, what has race and religion got to do with the
0: climate crisis? So for me, race and religion are inseparable from a climate crisis. If we look globally at the communities that are on the front line, so the communities that are dealing with like extreme weather, floods and droughts, food insecurity because of the climate crisis, that displaced and losing their lives. It is predominantly the global south, which are made up of black and brown people. So for me, it's like the idea of, people who have caused the crisis the least are the ones that are impacted the hardest by it um, and we know that predominantly the historical emitters are in the global north so like the western countries and then as a muslim woman um religion is so interlinked because i guess a as a somali you know uh someone is predominantly muslim and then it's like you're pre- and then you're black it's just always just like this
1: intersect and it's like this big social justice crisis what makes climate change activism inaccessible and what are the repercussions of that 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 inaccessibility. when I first started out probably five, six
2: years ago, getting involved in climate discourse, the people within these spaces were predominantly elderly, middle-class white people. And also the conversations were about how they could change their lifestyles in order to facilitate a more um, sustainable lifestyle, more eco-friendly lifestyle. And in that, I went home and I was telling my dad, you know, we need to be more sustainable and eco-friendly. And my dad was like, unless you're paying for it, I don't know how that's going to work out. And so automatically I just assumed that if i can't maintain the sustainable lifestyle with you know vegan this and you know um, reusable that um
0: i'm not a good climate change activist i think that's like a really good point about what it is to be an activist and when we talk about the movement being accessible i think we see loads of images and particularly when we saw the extinction rebellion protests we saw loads of images of honestly like just loads of white people protesting and people who could take time out of work and people who could you know are like, people are like i took a week off and it's like the idea of class is so important as well especially when we talk about race and religion mm-hmm. um and i think you're right to say it's almost like the marginalized people and how the movement's been branded really does a disservice um it, it acts as a Deterrent to people who should care about the issue but feel like the space isn't for them. So, there's a question about what we do as those who are trying to get the space more inclusive, more diverse, to make sure that people feel safe in that space and the solutions because. Not everybody is going to resonate with protecting an orangutan. Um, People might want to be part of the movement because, you know, every winter they go through few poverty. They've got really high energy bills or they are concerned about, you know, me in Somalia or the family in Pakistan who might be dealing with the consequences of climate change. So we've got to make sure that we've got different narrative in there. And just because you don't care about one element or one element doesn't resonate as much doesn't mean that you can't be part of the movement.
1: Muna, what would you say to those who don't think that their individual efforts will affect climate change and think that it's a task for corporations and politicians?
0: I think it's a really complicated, it's a complicated relationship. Individual action does have its place and it should be encouraged and supported. And it's almost of a, I guess, a culture shift. So we talk about better diets and how we travel, the clothes we buy. It's about transforming the way we live to fit in with our values and to fit in in a way that's sustainable for the planet. And also better, like in terms of improving our air, having a fairer society. But individual action can only go so far. Um, we need to have systemic change from our politicians and from the corporations we know, a hundred companies, cause the overwhelming majority of emissions. So we can't sideline that by just saying, "Hey, everyone, stop using plastic straws," because that's not going to fix the crisis. And we need to be honest about that, particularly when it comes to the government. So as Friends of the Earth, we have our kind of we have our climate action plan. So we're calling the government to do it, kind of take action in really key areas. So we need to phase out petrol and diesel by um, as soon as possible. We need to stop expanding airports. We need to really invest in our nature. Nature, that can play a role in sucking out the co2 from the atmosphere all of these different elements ban fracking there's so many different parts of action that we need from the government to do so i think individual action should be encouraged it should be facilitated but at the heart of it has to be system change and it has to be systematic change because without it we will not avoid the crisis
1: how is the global north centered in the climate change conversation
0: the global north and richer nations are centred in in many ways. Even if you look at the way we speak and the narrative, there's this element of kind of focusing on future generations and trying to create a planet for our children. And already in that, there's an inherent assumption that people at present aren't impacted by the climate crisis, which we know is not true. It's through the lens of trying to... Uh, tweak around the edges and not provide system change that we need essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to balance to keep things as they are without really addressing the crisis and all of that means that we take longer as we take longer the impacts are felt by the global south so I think it's it's everything we do um, and it's everything that we're centering also some of the solutions so um, uh, some of the solutions are called carbon offsetting it's essentially using technologies to try and mitigate the climate crisis but a lot of that come with risks for people around the world like food security and impacting their livelihoods so essentially when things are seen through the lens of the global north it's seen through solutions that work just for the global north and don't work for everyone so what we need to do is make sure that the solutions on the table work for everybody so part of that is the UK and other European countries paying their fair share internationally um, that means supporting countries around the world to become more resilient to adapt so they are able to deal with the climate crisis especially because they're on the front line but it also means that we can't do things that exacerbate existing um, power dynamics and social structures we can't have things that create a whole new social injustice we need to make sure that fixing the climate crisis inevitably eradicates well or works to um, dismantle um, existing social injustice
1: While the Global North performs this balancing act, the countries worst affected by climate change already will continue to suffer until we find solutions. But according to Menedia, they're not just at a standstill there. She says that the Global South will not be able to reach the same economic standard as in the Global North, now that the Global North have created the problem of the climate crisis. They've done this through centuries of exploitation and mismanagement of resources, and the Global South are pressured by the watchful eye of former colonizers not to worsen the conditions of climate change by using their own resources to develop their nations. This is something she describes as the third wave of colonization, and insists that the onus is on these big players. One example of that is the Amazon fire.
2: People ask, why is Bolsonaro destroying a lot of the Amazon forest? The reason being is because he wants to come to a certain economic standard, one that we've already come to. I don't agree with it, but you have to ask, why is it not okay for him to want the same for his country as we wanted for our countries? Now, when the French president, Macron, offered 20 million to him for the forest, he declined because he said colonization allowed them to develop as a nation, be it France, the UK and other countries. Why is it that the global south aren't entitled to the same? And I agree. At the same time, we have to look at the condition of our earth and say that, you know, development in all forms, be it in the global north and the global south, is coming to a detriment of our environment, of the people. And the next biggest group of refugees on the earth will be climate
1: refugees. For Munna and Munadia, the bliss point of understanding each of our roles in this conversation is in holding those corporations and governments to account, and ourselves, our individual efforts in these capitalist structures. Acting on this understanding is activism, but the branding around activism is an issue for both, and as Munna says, it's acting as a deterrent from people engaging in the work they need to be doing. When asked about what triggered them into this space, they both mentioned that they were reluctant at first, given what's associated to activist culture. And the term activist itself is something that makes them both feel uncomfortable.
0: So even though I'm a campaigner, you know, like my actual job title and my day job is quote unquote, like, doing act- activism and and propelling forward an issue that I care about. I feel uncomfortable with it because it almost creates this perfect model of a human being. And I think particularly with the climate crisis, we do we do things where individuals are scapegoated, like, oh my God, you care about the climate crisis? Why are you drinking have a plastic bottle? These caricatures are developed and I'm really uncomfortable calling myself like an activist or, you know, because I think you're just held to such a moral high standard. And I think at the end of the day, I'm just a human being that cares about an issue and wants a crisis to be solved. And really, an activist can be someone who who shares an image on Facebook or who is speaking at a rally. Who we are as individual naturally shapes what we care about and what we're concerned about. And for me, I think I'm always, it's just like a flame when it comes to social justice, particularly as a a black Muslim woman. There's always this intersect and in that intersect, we always come off like worse so when I'm fighting for like the climate crisis I'm fighting for social justice I'm fighting for climate justice and that for me is where the fire comes from I think the fire that as a Muslim woman as, as someone who is personal color you know I'm tired of being in spaces where we get the kind of the brunt of it um, I'm tired where we have to deal with the issues and we didn't cause a crisis I grew up calling myself an activist and at so many
2: points in time I think I was consumed by the word and you know you also think about upholding this image and the reality Reality is that you're not perfect. You know, it, it can play into your ego. And so for me, it's just being very wary of my own character. I think that your character is one of the biggest tools you have as a quote unquote activist. And I think that's so imperative that you're able to preserve and protect that. And, and this it kind of evolves into the work that I'm, I'm trying to do now, which is faith inspired activism. It's only I think in the last two, three years, me and my friends have referred to the work that we do as faith inspired activism, because faith gave me a grounding. Faith gave me um, this moderation. Faith told me that even if you're not perfect, it's fine as long as you're working hard. Mm-hmm. And then then the purpose of my work came out before I did stuff for the sake of good. But sometimes that's not enough. Now I do stuff for the sake of God and it's changed everything for me.
1: Manadia, how is Islam connected to the climate crisis?
2: Um, I think the word inextricably linked is the perfect word to discuss. describe it when I'm asked why are you an activist and Muslim I'm like they're because they're the same thing and when you look at Islam and the, and when it was sent down it was sent as a form of justice to women to so many other marginalized groups within society and so for me it wasn't finding climate change in Islam it was finding Islam in climate change conversation and so the more I engaged the more I realized and I think also it was through learning from other people I, I remember I went to a conference once and one of the teachers there she was saying that you know, once we're buried and we're underground, we're there and we decompose after probably 100 years. But these plastic bottles will be polluting the earth for over three, 400 years because they won't be decomposing. And she looked at us and she said, well, you're literally dust and these, these plastic bottles are still causing harm to the planet. Don't you think you'll be accountable for that?
1: What should we be doing collectively as Muslims to combat the climate
2: crisis? Firstly, the way that I try to approach Islam and climate change is placing Muslims within the conversation. So like we've mentioned previously, climate change conversation can sometimes feel distant and inaccessible. And the reason being is because of the language. And so sometimes you maybe don't even use the word climate change. Use taking care of the planet. Use steward of the planet. Um, use guardian. And use Khalifa. Because these are the things that resonate with your community. Some of the places where it starts is the community hub. So that means the masjid community centers and um, your homes your kitchens your 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 family gatherings your dawats like everything requires you the, the conversation to start and a lot of the time it's just w- what do you want your relationship with god to look like and i think that's that's a, a really good start when when speaking to family members but also approaching them with a kindness because a lot of the time in activism what we do is we go in with self-entitlement like how do you not have a recycling bin in this masjid how dare you not blah 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 and that was me by the way so i'm saying <laughs> from personal experience you go in demanding rather than trying to understand and so when you go in and you speak to your local imam or you speak to your local masjid and people within your community you say you know what I love you and I love my faith and I want all of us to work towards this together and honestly you see so many people change the way that they view the topic even with elderly people if you can speak the language that they're speaking for example um, bengali or somali i think it's really important to use that communicate them uh, with them in the way that they understand regardless of whether or not they're elder and they're still going to face the repercussions but also they're the foundations of our community and we need to always console them when we're making plans about the future
0: uh, so for me engaging in the muslim community i do it both as someone who is uh, being paid to campaign on the issue so i'm really proud that um at friends of the earth i pushed for our first of like ramadan campaign and that was basically just getting some of my friends and uh, other muslims in the organization to tell their story of how islam fits in with the climate crisis and why muslims need to be behind it so stories from bangladesh from pakistan and myself from somalia so really like connecting the dots almost we know muslim charities are great on humanitarian issues we are all over that but we know we need to add in now prevent is better than cure. And we need to add in the narrative of what is causing and worsening a lot of the crisis we're campaigning for. And I think the second we start to make the climate crisis as emotive as the humanitarian crisis, I think it almost hopefully inshallah will be like a click in people's head because it's not gonna go away. It's only gonna get worse. If we care about not seeing a repetitive cycle of brown and black faces going through hardship, then we need to make sure we're cutting it at the, at the root um, cause and that and that is cl- the climate crisis. I think also about like Muslims, it's about if you are, if you are campaigning about this issue in your community spaces, are you making it as inclusive as possible for Muslims to be around there? Are Are you actually talking to people in their areas? So if you are a campaigning organization, if you're a person and you don't live around Muslims, can you go to an area that has more like predominantly more Muslim people in there? I think often sometimes we're in, I don't know, rural Surrey and then it's like, am I gonna find a Muslim here? It's like the chances are unlikely compared to you know where I'm from, Newham, Tower Hamlets. Like it's just the, the the you know the the logic of it. In terms of making it a Muslim issue I think it's exactly what we've said before understanding our faith and trying to mimic the behaviors of the prophet and how we were advised to behave on this earth and I think it's about like tapping into that and I think Muslims need to own this and then we need to be proud of it because ultimately it's our communities whether we're in the UK, the West or in the global South that will be impacted hardest.
1: In navigating what it means to be an activist in facing the injustices that were the precursor to the current climate crisis. In tackling social justice issues minority communities and the global South is facing now because of them and the sheer mental and physical work required to meet the demands of a trending subject, Munna and Manedia are having to navigate burnout and eco-anxiety, a term used to describe being overwhelmed at the existential challenge of climate change.
0: <laughs> uh, so... um, Working on an issue like the climate crisis is intense. Um, uh, It's a a flurry of different reports always telling you how bad things are and then... And then you go in and you're like, hey, government, things are bad. But you don't get the, the the answers or the energy that marries up with the level of the crisis. So for me, I've had to like almost compartmentalize what I do. So this word is used a lot, but self-care and carving out space for you where you can get respites is critical because otherwise it can be over-consuming and eco-anxiety, um, which is this kind of this chronic worry about issues of climate crisis is real and needs to be taken seriously
2: a few things I think self-care is really important but also defining what self-care is and just having I don't know I think you need people around you to be honest with you and because sometimes you don't even recognize when you're coming to burnout and I wouldn't recommend coming out to burnout because recovering from that is very very difficult you need to do what's within your capacity and then someone else will do the rest but my friend took me to her side and she said you know like if you were to go tomorrow the, the the conversation wouldn't stop so don't don't feel like you're responsible for all of it. And I think that's what's important. Um, just when you when you stop, don't think that like the, the campaign is being neglected. Someone else will come in that space, and it doesn't mean that you're irrelevant. <laughs> it just means that um, you need time out. And also the most productive version of yourself can only happen when you're well both mentally and spiritually and physically. One of my worst habits was that I would leave the house early in the morning and come home late at night, no interaction with my family. And um, I neglected my family in essence. And so remembering that every portion of your day deserves and has a right towards different things. Activism definitely, education, but also your friends and family deserve your time. And I think it's important not only for them but for you to have that type of relationship and to have that healthy relationship. Okay, lastly,
1: what are two things everyone can do to become a component for positive change for the climate crisis space in their own lives?
0: Mm, I guess like, so overarching, my advice and, and advice to myself all the time is to question. So question whether you need a product, question wh- why you're getting a product um, and with it and in questioning, um, inshallah, that combats your like overconsumption um and I think for me that's a really big thing what do I actually need this dress do I need it am I gonna wear it can I get it somewhere else more ethically um do I need I'm like okay oh my god I'm so thirsty do I need this plastic bottle wait I'm actually 10 minutes from home let me just wait like, all these little questions I think help to build and change behavior patterns for yourself um and I think that transcends different issues of fast fashion waste um even like energy at home like did I turn the lights off like oh I think question I think that's my biggest thing for me but it's recognizing that if we keep investing into the bad things and we keep putting our money behind the bad things there is no incentive for companies to change and we need to recognize that dynamic and obviously the onus is on the companies to change us up the practice in the first place but we play a really big important part as consumers
2: it's the conversations that you have, because you can't like you can't just turn on consciousness. You have to really see it in your actions or why you're doing it. Like for example, for me, when it comes to ethical clothing or trying to buy less clothes, um, I always think of what Hoda um, Khatibi said at an event, which is um, the closest thing that touches your skin is your clothes. And um, your clothes are ma- made from oppression, so the closest thing touching your skin is oppression. So when I'm like, so when I think of that, I'm like, okay, I really need to be conscious about the clothes that I buy. Well, like when I'm thinking about meat consumption, I'm thinking about what the Prophet ﷺ said about how much we should consume, but also the animal, animal abuse and how we're going to be accountable to Allah for the animals that are being abused. Um, you know, divesting into free range things, but also recognizing that there are certain times we can't afford the ethical brands mm-hmm. because they weren't made for us to be able to afford, especially mm-hmm. as minorities of people that come from certain areas. But also, if you're going to shop from Primark because that's what's within your price range and budget, calm. But do you always need to buy something? Where, buy from Primark when you need to buy from Primark. It's about changing our consumption patterns. I haven't stopped buying clothes. I've just stopped buying clothes a lot. I haven't stopped eating meat. I've just stopped eating meat a lot. And it's just doing the making reasonable measures. And it's just such a Muslim thing to do, moderation. And I think having that conversation with ourselves, bringing back in because the spirituality the ethicality and remembering why we do what we do um i think really realigns it and makes it easier for us to participate
0: if i'd say it's anything like don't lose hope like we've got yeah, this yeah, 100%. um like like end with the energy i think it's, it's really important like muslims um like day by day the movement is getting stronger and um your voice only makes it that much stronger so please don't feel like you're not qualified enough to be in this space like yeah. anything you do helps
1: Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of Small Talk. You can find more episodes of Small Talk over on the Amalia podcast, on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We'd love to get your feedback, so hit us up at contribute at amalia.com and tell us what you liked or took away from this episode. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support our production, visit amalia.com support. You can find Amalia on Instagram at amalia underscore com and on Twitter at amalia underscore tweets. Music by Ryan Little, who you can find on SoundCloud, Apple Music and Spotify. A massive thank you to Munna and Munadia for joining us on this episode of Small Talk. Like, share and subscribe and we'll see you on the next one. Bye.